So we've all seen the heartbreaking devastation left behind by Cyclone Gabrielle. The scale of rebuilding those affected regions seems quite overwhelming at the moment, doesn't it? With increasing threats of extreme weather events, how do you approach a rebuild? Do we need to change our approach? To discuss, construction expert Professor John Tukey from AUT's School of Future Environments is with me. Good morning, John. Thanks so much for your time. No problem at all. Okay, so how in a country our size, with 5 million people, do we build robust infrastructure that can endure a worst-case scenario like Gabrielle? Is it at all possible? Uh, well, it is, uh, but we have to make compromises because, you know, the Rolls-Royce solution is just not realistic uh, on a budget. You know, we're always running on a budget, right? So, um, I mean, the sorts of things we can look at are, are changes in planning regulations around uh, the development zones that we undertake and then methods to uh, ameliorate some of the worst aspects of uh, potential flooding through uh, water retention systems and things like this that, uh, that we can manage more effectively. How do we rebuild for the long term? What needs to be taken into account? Um, as I say, where we do the development work, the, uh, as cities, particularly Auckland, have expanded over recent years, um, uh, areas that previously were more marginal, so uh, around uh, um, uh, flood areas, or sorry, um, um, areas around river, river uh, flood and uh, uh, drainage plains and so on are going to uh, have been developed extensively. There's an increasing densification of buildings, so there's more hard uh, surfaces, surfaces, less so le- uh, increasing amounts of stormwater runoff as a result. And then areas, you know, you you, you end up with areas like Kumi, for example, which has uh, it went from nothing to all of a sudden it's every time it seems to even have a reasonably heavy rain, it starts to flood. And again, it's you, you've got 40-odd thousand homes that are scheduled to be developed in and around Kumu. Um, you know, these are the sorts of areas that we need to seriously consider what is and is not realistically viable. John, is it about where we're building or how we're building? Can we actually build in areas where there might be a, a, a small percent of risk, like a, you know, 1% chance of a, of, of a, of a storm like we've seen, a 100-year storm? Or is it uh, well, about well, how we build in order it, to um, it, 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 reduce it's the primar- damage? It, it's primarily about where we build okay. is, the, is the primary issues. Um, and then as densification is taking place, you know, all you have to do is look at uh, historic government policy and the, the need for densification. You know, we're building in our back gardens. So all of a sudden, instead of having a big, you know, um, classic Kiwi quarter acre dream, large scale section with large amounts of grass that suck up the uh, the rain that drops. Mm. Instead of that, it's now concrete and steel and it's got hard standing for cars and vehicles and, and on and on and on. And, you know, uh, the, the problem, unfortunately, is you get this massive pulse of uh, stormwater uh, that, that overwhelms the uh, the previous infrastructure that we have. So, you know, it's where we build and it's, it's what we build in the sense of um, uh, particularly stormwater management systems, uh, um, stormwater reticulation systems and so on that um, that are necessary to uh, to, to, to realistically cope with this sort of event. When we're looking ahead to this, you know, this rebuild, do you think, how much is cost going to play in this? Does it does it have too big a role when it comes um, to it, rebuilding? 
It, it has a substantial uh, effect, obviously. Um, I think possibly a more a wide-ranging issue that, that is not really being considered at the moment, which needs to be considered, is the effect that it's going to have on uh, insurance ac- across the place. Because if you can imagine, we've had locations where we've had multiple um, storm events over a relatively recent uh, time that have ended up in flooding. Um, and now, increasingly, um, uh, c- certain properties in certain locales are, are going to become... Um, extraordinarily expensive to insure for uh, any insurance company, and consequently, you know, we need to start thinking in terms of, in effect, what what it, what is like a, an EQC mm. only only for dealing with this type of event, um, and whether or not the the remit of EQC can be rolled out further is a, is a separate question, of course. But but you get the idea, you know, it, in effect, what we have to do is self-insure and figure out ways of being able to do that, because we can't realistically just say, well, we're not going to have those houses there anymore, just go somewhere else, because, you know, we, we, have a, we have a deficit of housing across the nation anyway. So, you know, we have to find out ways and means and, and, and figure out ways and means of being able to support these sorts of communities that are storm affected in that way. What roles do central and local government play in this? Um, ultimately, they're the ones with the, the power of the purse that are going to be uh, operationalizing any of these things mm. going forward. Um, councils in particular, you know, that they, they have to be uh, resourced and have the capability of being able to do a, a realistic stormwater um, assessment of what uh, development is taking place. Um, same with uh, assessments of slope, for example, because there's a, you know we, we've seen an awful lot of instances of slope instability um, that uh, you know you, you kind of look at and go, did we really build things there? <laughs> Are you sure? Um, but you know, again, it's it's a, it's an incredibly uh, convoluted task, and you know what what we have is the challenge of being able to support the existing infrastructure that we have and then be strategic in our investment decisions going forward to make sure we're building the right type of uh, properties in the right sort of locations. And that could that can include things like, for example, a downstairs garage where we don't actually, you know, we don't actually have um, anybody living uh, and then people live on the second and third floors um, so that there is an area that can be flooded and, and, and be able to be reconstituted relatively easily. You know, when you see somebody's home that's been inundated, um, you know, that if you look at some of the development systems that they have in uh, countries overseas where they're subject to cyclone, cyclonic damage, um, it's very rare for people to actually live on the ground floor. Mm, yes, so, so, you know, so there's a range of different uh, approaches that can be taken and we just need to be strategic in what we do going forward. Yes, we sacrificed our garage to the Auckland floods. Uh, in, general, <laughs> our builder, uh, in general, are our buildings, our infrastructure up to, str- up to scratch? Um, unfortunately, it's a classic case of you can never have too much infrastructure. Whatever right. you do, it's not enough. And there is always, you know, you, you can't future-proof it in its entirety. However, we can most certainly invest in um, in, in, in more and better um, stormwater management systems in particular and also the issue of uh, sort of uh, the, the type of building that we take. So as an example, you can... One of the ways in which you can ameliorate the effects of the large-scale flooding uh, in an urban area is to have houses uh, compulsorily having a tank installed to, to, to manage rainwater coming off the roof. So that um, whilst they, they can use it for grey water uses like uh, you know, water in the garden or whatever it may be, in, instead of it just getting dumped straight onto the street, 
which then overwhelms the local systems, you can have a tank, in effect, acting as a buffer to absorb uh, a substantial amount of uh, of the stormwater runoff. And this this has the effect of, of minimising the, or at least ameliorating the worst effects of the uh, stormwater pulse that comes into the system. So, you know, there's, as I say, there's a range of different uh, approaches that we can take. And, and then, you know, we can look more broadly at at um, ways and means of being able to make um, the other load on infrastructure, like, for example, you know, we've got these massive uh, issues with regard to power outages. Well, you know, we should be subsidising, in effect, um, people doing micro-generation either with wind or, or solar uh, in order to make it um, that uh, people actually have an emergency backup system in place. I mean, I'm, I'm in a position where I was able to... Um, get a, a solar system installed and it keeps my freezers frozen for the duration um you know so you don't have the the, the huge wastage of of uh of a product and you you don't have the uh, the excessive load on the system whilst everybody's screaming wanting their power back on mm. hey john you know these are just a range of different things we can do yeah absolutely and the, the things that um we can do of course <laughs> um uh, if we take a look at the devastation which has been caused by the Auckland floods and um, Gabrielle, in terms of construction and rebuilding, are you concerned that we have the resources for such a uh, rebuild? It's, <laughs> it's going to be a challenge for sure. The first storms that we had created a problem. This is uh, this this Gabrielle has now created a crisis. Um, you know, we've got an awful lot of demand on our um, civil contractors who are doing uh, remediation works, which takes them away from their core business, which is actually running the, the building industry, or, you know, mm. doing the groundwork for building. So we, we, we're going to have substantial delays going forward. Um, it will be manageable. Um, you know, we, we do need to start thinking about potentially looking at ways of recruiting more professional builders and construction people into the country to, to be able to deal with this. So, um, I mean, we have the uh, construction on the short skills list as a matter of course anyway, um, but, you know, incentive schemes can be uh, considered. Um, there will almost inevitably be a need to uh, to introduce further uh, um, investment in the sector uh, going forward. And we, you know, we, as far as... Uh, government itself is concerned uh, you know that it needs to pick some winners and losers well yeah. winners you know, bigger winners as it were with regard to the type of uh, companies that it's going to get on board to be able to deal with this infrastructural investment going forward because you know quite frankly when we penny packet things and 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 shove money you know just sprinkle it around the place it doesn't um have the immediate effect in terms of scale that you need. You actually need to you need you need to to to, to put a substantial amount of money into a particular direction in order to be able to maximise the return more rapidly. And uh, and at the moment that's not you know shall we say primary issue. Um, you know what what happens in the immediate 24, 48, 36, uh, 72 hours rather associated with this type of event is that you're uh, you're dealing with the immediacy mm. of people's uh, trauma and uh, all the other things that uh, are required to be able to do with that. And now, you know, we're just sort of moving into the phase beginning next week where we're starting to look into the future and say, okay, fine, 
what are we going to do going forward? And, um, you know, the various different governmental agencies will be stepping up, coming up with an action plan going to, to make that happen. John Turkey, thank you so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate it.